0: We're not, we're not here today gathered in praise of the Lord Jesus because of what he might do and what he might not do or how that might look, but because he's beautiful and he's worthy and he consumes our hearts in the best of ourselves, right? So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, the, the passage for us today uh, and then I invite you, if you have your Bible or a Bible app open, uh, to keep it open if you wish to. Uh, we, we promise not to believe that you're looking at Facebook or checking into Foursquare or wherever. Did they even do Foursquare anymore? Um, but uh, to be able to follow along, we'll be talking a bit about some of the rest of the chapter, some of the rest of it, so if you care to. Um, this, then, is the verse I'll be preaching on, and then I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll set the word and our hearts aside for it. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be submissive in trusting joy and faith to your word. That you would use it, Holy Spirit, you would come through and by your word like you promise and like you do to give life to these dry bones, to refresh our hearts and make us anew evermore into the image of our savior Jesus whom we love, to whom we submit, and for whom we are waiting. We love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. There is purpose in your pain. There is purpose for the pain that you're in right now, there's intentionality for your suffering. There's a reason for the affliction and the trials that you feel yourself in. There's a reason for that. And the reason for it is the glory of Christ revealed in and through you and the hope of his return and the honor that he will share with his people. Our pain, our trials, our afflictions are building and shaping in us a hope for that day. There's a reason and a purpose for our pain. It's to dislocate all of our false hopes and remove all of these extra crutches that I walk around with all the time, that I lean on all the time, to remove all of them except the one that can truly support me. So you ever play Jenga? Okay, I see some nods. So Jenga, if you're not aware, uh, I I thought about sending you like a JPEG. It's like, this is Jenga, so we can have it on the screen. Jenga is, you start a game with a stack of interwoven pieces of wood. And the game is, you remove one piece at a time, ones that are loose, ones that aren't carrying the weight of the tower of wood, and then you place them again on the top. And so you're removing everything that does not carry the weight and cannot carry the weight, and you're building on that one real foundation as long and as as best you can that is a picture of what the lord god is doing in our hearts and in our lives in affliction removing those things that cannot bear the weight that cannot take the load and building our hearts and our lives upon the one solid ground that can hold that can take the weight of your hope take the weight of your pain and that is the christ that is the cornerstone Removing and the Lord burning in the crucible all of our false saviors, all of our false idols, and our hopes, everything except that which is genuine and sure. Everything except that which will hold, which is Jesus. He can hold trials and affliction and suffering. Are the Lord removing false hopes, false saviors, and showing us where is your hope? Where is it located? When is it located? That's what this verse is about. That's what afflictions are like in our hearts, at least in part. So the context of this letter in 1 Peter, Peter is writing, and I'm going to read through the first 12 verses just to get us to this this place. But Peter is writing to people in trial, okay? So if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's great. If you want to just listen, I'll try to read slower than I normally do. Uh, But listen or watch for images of suffering and trials, for the the image of this revelation of Jesus and watch for glory, even in these first 12 verses. So I'm going to read them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. That was when the Jews and the believers moved out from Jerusalem because of the persecution coming upon Christians. To the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. My names were easier than yours, Derek. (laughs) So these are all regions in in what we would now consider like Turkey and and, and, uh, Central Asia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, that's what you were elected for. That's what you were set apart for. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, who is kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation that will be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the test of genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, even though that gold perishes when it is tested by the fire, The test of genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, and you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Concerning that salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look, therefore. So because of this living hope that you have, because of the trials that you are in, and because of the sureness of your certain hope, That will be revealed fully at the the return of Jesus Christ. That's all of what Peter has just said. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation. Peter knows what it's like to be in trials. Peter was beaten, Peter was persecuted by Saul, Peter was imprisoned. Peter's not giving you a nice, easy answer. Peter has on his body the marks of Jesus also. The pain. Peter's not giving you the cheap answer. He says, set your hope fully on grace. So to these suffering Peter, uh, the suffering people, Peter writes, I want you to see clearly in suffering and I want you to hope fully in grace. Those are the two things we'll talk about in the outline for today. To see clearly in suffering and, so, and hope fully in grace. So first, seeing clearly in suffering. First he says, Preparing your minds for action. And man, does that sound good in Presbyterian. I need to get out my study Bible. I'm going to get the latest book by D.A. Carson. I'm going to study. I'm going to go back to my, uh, my, my Machen, or I'm going to go back to my C.S. Lewis. And I'm going to get some good answers and some good information about Jesus. Because that's what we do. That's not quite what Peter's saying here. He's not saying, prepare your minds for action by getting more information, by studying harder, by having another uh, good Sunday school class, and I love a good Sunday school class. He's saying, prepare your minds for action. And that's a word, literally, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Which sounds inappropriate for mixed company. But see, in in the ancient Near East, in the days of Jesus, in the days of Peter, to gird up your loins, a man who would normally walk around in a robe or in a tunic, if, if war was coming, if an attack was coming, if he had to move, he had to be ready for action, he would bring up the robe and tie it around himself and gird himself up. Now he's ready. And Peter is saying, not get some good information. He's saying, you are in a conflict. You are in a battle. You need to get yourself ready and understand it's time to respond with truth. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready for action. You're under attack. This isn't about getting new information because affliction feels like war. Affliction is battle coming to your head and to your heart. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. He's not just saying your intellect. He means your mind and your heart. That's what Peter means by that kind of phrase. He says, you're going to be under attack and you're going to be embattled. Lies and accusations, shame, doubt, fear. They're coming. Gird up the loins of your mind. Brother, you're in a battle right now. Prepare for it. He's not saying, like we've all heard. Basically the equivalent of buck up little camper. All things work for good. Have you received that kind of encouragement? kind of frustrating, you're missing my heart, brother. You're missing my heart, I'm in pain. Peter's saying, yeah, you're in pain. That's because you're in a battle, so gird up. Yes, it hurts, understand that, that's reasonable. It's reasonable for this to hurt because the enemy is coming at you with lies and accusations and fears and doubts insinuated into your mind and your heart. Be on guard be ready. Sometimes I think we talk like the Christian life is supposed to look like a cakewalk, And I can just put a nice frame on my social media image. And that's my my declaration. That's my witness for Jesus. And everything is great and shiny and perfect and pretty. Certainly on Sunday mornings when we walk in, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? We don't walk in and say, I am bleeding out. I'm exhausted and I'm in despair. Pray for me, help me, walk with me. Gird up, Peter says, you feel the pressure, you feel the uncertainty, you feel the wavering. We walk in, we say we can't admit that we're aching to know what the Lord is gonna do here with our church. Peter says, that's right, you're under, you're under attack. It's reasonable for you to feel that way. You should expect that. Peter doesn't think you should have your best life now with no lies to fight and no fears to subdued. He, he says, get ready, gird up, and see that you're in a battle. And then he says, being sober-minded. And sober-minded, again, that sounds good in Presbyterian. Like we're going to be like a Vulcan, like Mr. Spock, and be sober-minded and dispassionate. And we're not going to have to respond with our heart. We know the right answer. Everything is fine. That's not what Peter means by being sober-minded. He doesn't mean like cutting yourself off from the experience of this. The word sober-minded there is a word that he uses later on in in chapter four, verse seven, which is about being being sober and watchful. So the image is like of a watchman in the night who is on guard choosing not to drink, not to have any wine, so he can see clearly what's happening. To know he's in a battle and to be watching clearly what is coming at me, what is happening Peter's saying I want you to be watchful and aware and alert and vigilant when hurt and fears swirling all around you. It's hard to see sometimes, yeah? You ever have tunnel vision? Like literal tunnel vision where you under stress, we know our physiology responds, you cannot see. You cannot see to the outside. Or maybe you've watched somebody have emotional tunnel vision. There's so much in front of them and all they can think of is, well, I've, I've got to get these plates in order. You know, the house is on fire. I've got to get these plates stacked rightly. We get tunnel vision under stress. We don't see clearly what's really happening to us. That's, that's what it's like to walk around in this mind of flesh. The fog of battle. The uncertainty that comes. Trials do that to us. Peter says, I want you to gird up the loins of your mind, to understand that you're in a battle and watch clearly and carefully. So I don't really know you. I know a little bit about this church, I know a little bit about some of you. And I do not know what wounds and what fear and what strongholds the enemy is bringing against you. I don't know, that's not my job. That's between you and the Holy Spirit, right? I don't know what's happening in your, your view of, of, of the church or maybe maybe the pressure and the lies that are coming at you or in your individual life. Maybe you have been abandoned or betrayed at your school, at your work, by a spouse, by a child. I don't know. I, I'm sure it's happening in the room because we're all broken. I'm sure you're in a battle. I just don't know what it looks like. I don't know if you're persecuted or isolated, but Peter is saying to you and to me, see it clearly. Understand the truth about what the lies of the enemy is bringing against you. The truth about those lies and those accusations. Be vigilant in prayer. It can be really hard, yeah? So a week and a half ago, I had my total lost in the fog moment in a bulldozer in the middle of a field after four hours of hitting stumps, and I lost it. I couldn't, I couldn't even see the next stump. All I was doing was hitting each one harder and harder. I couldn't see past my pain, couldn't see past my fear, couldn't see past my broken hopes. I couldn't see it. Have you been there where all you've got, you're locked in the cage with your pain, right? Peter says, cut up the loins of your mind. Open your eyes and see it clearly, what's happening to you. There are lies that are coming at you, to your mind and to your heart, lies that you are all alone, lies that you are a failure, lies that you will be abandoned. You are broken and helpless and hopeless, Do you know those lies? This will never get better. You're just in a long, slow, slogged death. Do you know those lies? Peter says, I want you to see the battle clearly and I want you to prepare for action. So what is the action, is point two. The action is to hope fully in grace. I get the sense when I I look at my trials, I look at my troubles, I'm a a stereotypical guy, I want to get a hold of the problem. And I want to fix the problem. I'm going to preserve myself, I'm going to preserve my family, I'm going to provide for myself by getting a hold of the problem and hitting it till it fixes. (laughs) I'm going to keep running that dozer into that stump until it gives, and then I'll be safe. I'm going to work that problem. That's how I'm going to fix it. That's, how I'm going to, that's the action I'm getting ready for. I'll work harder. Is that what Peter says to us right now? Is this what the Lord says to us through Peter? Prepare yourself for action and work harder. Work smarter. Network longer. Market better. Prepare yourself for action. And set your hope fully in the grace that's being brought to you. That's how we do battle. That is our action in our trials. And now, Peter says, the action that you are ready for, why you are girding up your loins, what you are watching for is how to dislocate all of your false hopes. To remove them from these things that cannot bear the weight. To intentionally and consistently dislocate my hope from the world, this flesh, my situation, success, the security that the world promises me and cannot bear the weight of my hopes, to dislocate that hope and relocate it fully upon Christ and his grace. So if a a human being were actually writing scripture, if it wasn't Peter being carried along by the Spirit, he would say, set your hope fully that God will eventually stop this, or set your hope fully that you can figure this out, or you can endure, and you can make it, little camper. That's what a human being would write because that's the advice we give each other and that's what we think we're supposed to be doing. That's what the flesh of us tells us that we need to do. We need to try harder, endure longer. Peter says, what I want you to do is hope. When hope feels like it's so impossible and so distant, I want you to hope. And we, we think hope, hope sounds like, to, in, in our con, conventional language, in our vernacular, hope is like a word for giving up. Well, are you gonna to get to go to that game? Hope so. Right? That's not what it means for Peter. That's not what it means in the original language here. The hope there is not just an empty wishing when I'm all out of ideas. Hope there is a settled, firm, confident trust. He says, I want you to land your expectant trust. I want you to plant it firmly. In Christ, a confident, settled faith and expectancy and it's command to us. So if you're one of those people that wants to fix your problem and you want something to do, Peter says, I'll give you a to-do list. Hope and hope fully, hope to the end. Not not hopefully, hopefully, hope completely, hope perfectly, hope all the way to the end set your settled trust and faith and expectant belief. And we think, I just wanna be done with this trial. The action that I want is to fix this problem. The action I want is for God to fix this problem actually so I don't have to change. That'd be great. As Captain Jack Sparrow said, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. That was a Pirates of the Caribbean reference. We have a generational breakdown there. Okay. (coughs) That's all good. I made a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure reference uh, a number of months back, and that got a big laugh at my former church. I was very happy. The problem is my attitude about the problem. Because I think that God owes me a fix. And God says, I am removing your false hopes. I'm giving you a better and purified hope. Stop asking me to take you out of the trial. That's, that's not the point, Jackman. We say, God, deliver me with the trial. I look for fixes, a law to perfect, protect the faith in America, enough money to provide for my family. A relationship to take away my loneliness, a project to give me purpose, a child to love me totally, a new job to relieve my stress, or a new pastor to guarantee growth in the next phase of a church's life. We want the problem fixed with something we can see. And none of those things can bear the weight of your hope. All of those can be taken away. All of those will fail you someday. Absolutely everyone, especially a new pastor. Sinners can't bear that hope. Peter says, I want you to have a confident trust and confidence is hard when you're in trial. Peter says, I want you to have a confident trust, not in your circumstances, not in them ending or changing. I want you to have a confident, firm, and settled trust and faith in Christ. That's what he says all through the letter in those first 12 verses. He says, you have a living hope. You have been ransomed. You have an inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, kept secure in heaven for you, and it's coming with the revelation of Jesus. I want you to set your hope there where no thief can steal. And where no one will fail you. rested on Christ, on his life and his death and his resurrection. Not on your situation. Because his faithfulness can bear the weight. And he says, I want you to hope fully. I want you to hope confidently and expectantly. And that fully word there really irritates me. Because how about I hope 30% there? That'd be a really good day for me if I were hoping 30% in Jesus and only 70% in myself in this world, I think that would be above average for me. I don't know about you. So where's your hope? If you had to put a percentage on it today, how much of my hope is in here, this life, and my worldly possessions, and my provision, and my family, and my success, versus how much of my hope is with Jesus? How much of my hope is kept locked up, guaranteed, and undefiled? if you had to put a percentage on it, where's your hope today? The word of God calls us to dislocate our hope on the things of this world that will perish and fail and fall. Because the world promises glory and honor and security and it can't deliver. I don't know what counterfeit hopes you bear. If it's your job, if it's your respect from family or friends or coworkers, being attractive, being capable, being skilled, being healthy, being popular, having enough followers, getting enough retweets. I don't know you, but I know you've got false hopes. And I know there's blocks in your tower that cannot bear the weight. And if you build on them, it'll fall. I don't know if you're hoping in the end of your trials, if you're just saying, I'm gonna endure till the end of this suffering, and I'm expecting that somehow magically things are gonna get better. I want, to, I want the world to return to the good old days of Christianity, and I want to have worldly peace and security in this land. That can't take the weight. That can't bear the load. I had good things as my false hopes. I had good things that I thought Jesus should be on board with. In my first ministry, I said, Lord Jesus, I'm praying for, I'm working for, I'm seeking your spirit to fall. I want to see lives changed. I want to see the kingdom coming in our community. I want all of these good things. Surely you're on board with that, Jesus. And I just want a little bit of the glory for it. I, I just, I, I'll know that you love me when you do that. I'll know that I'm safe with you when I see that. And even those good things cannot bear the load. They can't hold the weight. You can't hope in Jesus plus your ministry. You can't hope in Jesus plus your relationship or plus worldly acclaim. They will fail you. Peter says, you're in trial. You've got to set your hope fully on the grace that's being being brought to you. See your trial. See it and hope clearly. Your, Your hope is there. And if fully is the worst part, I think, in this verse, grace is the best part. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope fully on that grace. Hope fully on that undeserved love, favor, and affection, this inheritance that you did not earn, and that means you cannot lose. See, in those first 12 verses, if you remember, when Peter's writing, he talks about what's coming is the revelation of your salvation. What's coming is this revelation of Jesus' glory. He says, this time though, instead of saying, set your hope fully on this glory, set your hope fully on this salvation, he changes it, he says, set your hope fully on grace. Why? Because in trials, that's what I need to hear. That this trial doesn't mean I have forfeited somehow his love. This is not about my failure. I didn't earn this grace to begin with, and so I cannot lose it. It is undeserved. The guarantee of your hope is not you, it's not your capabilities, it's not your strength of mind, your power of focus. The guarantee and the ground of your hope that can bear the weight is the free, unmerited grace and favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is bringing it personally. It's being brought to you. It's not being sent. It's not not showing up on your door because it's Amazon Prime Day. Your Jesus is bringing it to you Personally, the end of Revelation, he says, I am coming soon, and my reward for you is with me. The grace is in the person of him. The life and the hope that we have is in his face itself. Grace will hold that weight because Christ took the weight. Jesus Christ took the weight on the cross, all the weight of your sin, all the burden of the price of your redemption, all of your inheritance, all of your hope, all of your salvation. He took the weight of all of it. And he held. And he suffered. and He's been glorified and exalted. It was grace to you, but it was paid by Jesus on his flesh. And he is the ground of your hope. He can carry the weight. Because he's conquered and risen, he's alive forever. In the person of him, your hope is sure. And he will not forget your trials. So if you believe that, even just a little bit more today, if you you said, I will set my hope 5% more fully on the grace to be brought to me, what might change for you today? What hopes would the Lord convict you today by his spirit to repent of and believe a better gospel? What false security, what blocks that can't take the load are you leaning on? And Jesus says, this isn't helping you, brother. This will not provide for you, sister. What would change for you today if you believed that a little bit more? because the one who paid for your grace, your inheritance, your salvation is coming back. It is not a problem. We expect children to act like children, we're good. You were born, it says later in this chapter, He says you were born of imperishable seed. Your inheritance is sure. You were ransomed by his death and his resurrection and he can take the weight. You may set your hope fully on his grace, his free love for you, and his imminent and sure return. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, would that I would. I want to hope in you. Lord, forgive me for my false hopes and the false ground that I try to stand on. Keep building on the broken foundations. But your grace is sufficient and it bears the load. Lord, we are in trial here at Christ Cove. We, we are in a season of uncertainty. We are in a season of waiting. But we have you. We have a sure and certain hope that's that's passed beyond the curtain, that's passed into the hell, holy of holies. You are our anchor. We will hold to you, Jesus. We know you are coming. We know you won't forget. Help us to gird ourselves up. Help us to be watchful and vigilant, to fight the lies with the truth of your beautiful, glorious gospel of grace. That we wait for you in patience and hope. You would find us a pleasing people You'd find in us uh, an effective outpost of your kingdom and your glorious grace. We love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.